2: do cry here. Oh. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who didn't want to give you this podcast this week, Nathan A. Clark. (laughs) Hello, Nathan. Uh,
1: We discussed um, losing to Chelsea uh, two episodes ago, so just refer back. All of my (laughs) comments, simply refer back to that episode, and I'll I'll just sit
2: here. (laughs) it is different this time though nathan okay there's 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 new stuff to say i think yeah, it's fine for me i i've i've expunged it all i i was on wicked spursy uh recording space straight after the game and i got it all out my system and i feel great um for you two it's kind of still fresh and raw and uh yeah i feel for you um before we we get stuck in a couple of couple of mentions for people firstly shout out to oregon shane for his very nice itunes review that was that was cool and a huge thank you to Chris Hanaway from Infinite Session. Uh, he got in touch after hearing me speak about cutting down my drinking for the rest of this month. And basically, it's a non-alcoholic beer company. And he very kindly sent a batch to me and a batch to Bardi. And mm. I, I've never been a fan of non-alcoholic beer before. It's definitely the best I've ever had. It's... Uh, you know there's a difference isn't there between the real thing and non-alcoholic beer but the flavor profile i think is really great and um chris has done a fantastic job there so shout out infinite session buddy. your dad couldn't tell the difference
0: no he couldn't tell the difference i'm sure you could because you normally chase after nine percent cans (laughs) and stuff but as for me i I prefer 4.5 percent and it, it was a really good alternative um yeah I gave him one. He was like, oh, what's this? Beer for lunch. So,
2: yeah, it was awesome. good. Awesome. Um, Brendan McGerty got in touch to say, this was after Nathan's um, suggestion that we need to call Lucas the Little Flea in Brazilian. Brendan said that the Brazilian Portuguese way of saying little leap is Puladinha. Nice. I thought. So, so maybe that's Lucas's new name.
1: So Little Flea is uh, uh, Pulguinha, which uh, uh, is pre- pretty close, pretty close either way. So th- awesome. th- <laughs> I the little like suffix is like is the inio is a nya right okay okay you know cuz i i think you seem very confused when i brought it up before right and, it, and and it's little in the context of like beloved right Yes, yeah yeah okay yeah. All right. we're, we're all we're all on board with the with the idea it's like a term there. of endearment yeah yeah
0: yeah like in spanish it would be ito like chicarito, that kind of stuff pudinia yeah.
1: okay yeah pudinia i like that that's good,
0: that's
2: mm. good. it works well Uh, I also got this email from Kunal Shah, who's just, uh, I love Kunal. Um, He says, in the latest pod, you and Nathan talked about your exhilarating discovery when you realized that you didn't have to see through plans if you didn't want to. I know it was a bit of a throwaway side discussion, so I'm not expecting you to return to this topic, but I just wanted to share my view. I had a similar revelation to you guys a few years ago, and it felt fantastic to cancel social plans and appointments because I didn't fancy them closer to the time. But more recently, during the pandemic, I've had another revelation that sometimes it's important to do my best to go ahead with social plans, even if I don't feel like it, because someone else is often relying on me. If I've made plans to meet a mate, it's sometimes important that I make an effort to stick to those plans because cancelling on them could ruin their day or evening and leave them feeling isolated. I know how frustrating it is when other people cancel on me at the last minute. Obviously, this doesn't apply if nobody else is affected by your presence. There are parallels to be drawn here with the North London Derby postponement. The reason why so many of us are angry with Arsenal requesting the postponement is not so much because they acted to serve their own interests, that is understandable. Rather, it's because the postponement has caused considerable problems for fans, particularly match-going fans, many of whom have made considerable sacrifices, such as paying for travel, arranging holiday plans or negotiating time off for work or childcare duties to make it to the scheduled fixture. They've let us all down. I'll be furious if I'm unable to make it to the rescheduled fixture.
1: Um, A friend of mine who I haven't seen in a very long time came to see me on Saturday um, for the first time since his mum had died. And uh, in the day when I was meant to be getting ready and preparing all the things for homemade pizza, um, I had just this weird weird emotional experience that i've never had in my life before where i suddenly just felt terrible and like it was the last thing i wanted to do and and that that i just had this anxiety that i've never experienced before in my life and i just think that yeah it's become so so weird and so alien <laughs> to see people that i'm i'm getting these strange reactions that i've never felt in my life but 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 he's my dear friend and I really wanted to see him, so I sort of put on a brave face and it was immediately fine once I sort of settled in. Um so yeah, I definitely I definitely resonate with that a little bit at the moment.
2: Yeah, I want to make it clear when I was talking about cancelling plans, I certainly didn't mean letting anyone down. I would only ever cancel plans that <laughs> affected me and me only. I mean, yeah, I, I would always go through with, with meeting friends if it's something I've agreed to, especially if, you know, I thought that they might be in a place where they need they need me. Um, but I really, really liked Canal's email. Canal's stuff is so, you know, always mm. very thoughtful and um, considerate, just a nice person, I think. Flaky. It's
0: when... Uh, yeah it's when like people out there they're meant to be playing a five a side game and there's there's ten other humans involved in this and then an hour before kickoff one of them goes can't make it I'm like you've just messed up nine other people's evening and that's really upsets me that really triggers me Um, so I agree with Kunal don't back down just play if you've got a broken leg just play go and goal
2: We'll do a, a a quick sort of recap of what's happened behind our Patreon paywall this week. So if, if you don't know we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. <laughs> Come on now, Wendy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I meant to say. Um uh, Nathan has learnt to code. Yeah, yeah, there's no I didn't do a video
1: this week because I I was working out the old uh keyboard smashing stuff. I uh We've got some, we've got some some polar graphs which I like. Uh, Focus around individual players, so individual players that just pull in a bunch of points that interested me from Effy Ref and displaying them in what I think is a very nice aesthetic way um, for sort of a quick summary. I'm really, I'm really quite proud of them, and uh, I might learn some more viz stuff as well.
2: Going the extra mile. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's good shit. We'll, um, we'll tweak some of them from the extra inch Twitter account. They look very nice. Uh, this, there's a podcast coming next week, which will probably be for everyone. I might release it early for the X subs, uh, which Greg Jenner has very kindly donated to us. It is absolute gold. You need to listen to it. It's very, very good. What happens with our bonus episodes is for some reason, because they're flagged as bonus episodes, they get sort of two, maybe 3000 fewer listens than our regular episodes. And they're often some of our strongest episodes, some of our strongest content, uh so I would definitely recommend looking out for it and um and picking up some of the previous bonus episodes because they they've been good. Um but this one is really fascinating and it's got some stuff which is kind of a uh, another level to the Y word discussion that we've been having across the extra inch for the last month or so. It's really really cool.
0: And um that's it. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>
2: no no. No no. We'll never we'll never give up on our and our regular listeners, Bardi, we've got, we've got a podcast to do here. Let's, uh, okay. let's tackle this. Um, start with the team lineup, is what we do. Bardi, what did, you, what did you make of that? So, obviously, the team lineup was rumoured several hours before kickoff. Hmm. What did you make of those rumours?
0: I got very strong Tim Sherwood um, <laughs> vibes from that formation. I don't know if you remember when we went there when he yes. was our manager and he played a lot of full backs.
2: Kyle Walker and- playing, was it? He was either playing right wing or central midfield. I can't remember
0: which. He was playing like just in front of the right back and he was just like he just doubled up. He he did that old kind of football manager ninety seven, ninety eight thing where you're winning a game and you're struggling. So the last five minutes you just put everybody in two banks in like weird positions and that's what he did with Carl Walker there. And that's instantly the impression I got when I saw this lineup. I was like, Okay, I'm not I'm not convinced by this, but I will I will have faith in the manager. Yeah. So yeah, I wasn't convinced by it at all. Nathan, did you know
2: um instantly what the shape was gonna be?
1: I was pretty confident it would be a four-four-two, but it kind of wasn't always. It had like a an essence of three-five-two <laughs> about it. It's kind of weird with Doherty moving in from right wing back to play right side of central midfield and Tanganga being the chosen uh, uh, full back to move out onto the wing. It was very strange. Um but yeah, so we we'd moved to back fours repeatedly against Chelsea, right? In because because juul has Conte's number to an extent at the moment, right? He's coming really well prepared for the Conte back three. And I think that later down the line, when we're in a place where we have like a stronger uh, team of individuals technically, um, and when we continue to gel more, uh, you know, next season or whatever Maybe Jule's plans to just to undo playing out from the back three um, won't be quite as effective. But right now, he has Conte's number like absolutely. So Conte has to change it up, um, and it has to be a back four essentially. There's not really another way of doing things. Um, so yeah, when I saw that, I was like, well, it, it's a four four two, but it's a four four two that's very ready to move into a back three at the drop of a hat. Yeah, or a single sub to change our entire shape or easy options to move into a a back three in certain moments in or out of possession. Um, But yeah, I mean, we said, we said that like he had to change something for the second leg and he didn't, and it was weird and wrong and bad. And he had to change something for this match. And he did. Um, It might just not be exactly (laughs) what we were hoping for, what we wanted that to look like.
2: So, so you think this was ideological? Yeah. Conte said that he had to pick this team because of an emergency situation. Yeah. He basically implied these were the only players he could pick.
1: Right. But the emergency is that he doesn't like all of our ball players. Right. Right, uh, and, exactly. so, and we have injuries and, and everything. Of course, there are pre-existing, like, fanning issues. But, like, he's also ruled out for himself the ability to select the Celso okay and Dombele understands Delhi, who I think has been played very well on Conte but the idea is that like these are players in the shop window and therefore you can't play them but I I guess what the fear is that they might get injured or just if you're not in the plans you're not in the plans but it's just it's putting such a restriction on himself doing that you know surely like like the Celso wasn't great against Leicester But surely he's a better option for right wing than Doherty, right? You know, I don't know. I um, like I understand, like like I said at the beginning, beginning. When Conte was coming in, I like these players. I think they're good. But if Conte says they're not good, fair enough. I hold my hands up and say let's let's move on. I I accept that they failed. But like. (laughs) <laughs> at least, at least they've got to be better than playing Dozy, right? At least, at least use them while they're there. At least, you know, it's just um, it seems extreme, um, but whatever. You've just made exactly the same point that
2: I made on Wicked Spursy. There you go. Like I, I just so I have a lot of sympathy for Conte in this match because he had six first team players out injured. You know, it's never going to be easy when you've got uh, Son, Romero, um, Emerson, Regulon. Uh, who else is out? Skip. Lucas all out injured or unable to start due to injury that is you're hamstrung but sort of to add in your own restrictions um does seem slightly bizarre for me for this one-off game you know he was prepared against Liverpool to to play Delhi in the middle of a a 3-5-2 and it worked really well um and we could have carried on playing the 3-5-2 had Delhi been included uh, today, had it been available, or La Celso could have played in 3-5-2, but uh, he, he didn't include them. And instead he kind of forced himself into a situation where he's playing Matt Doty horrendously out of position, Tanganga, who's been our worst player objectively over the last few games sure. at right back, and Ben Davis at uh, left back when he's he's been rejuvenated in the left centre back and has always looked quite poor over the last few years at at left back, other than you know, when it had that brief resurgence under Mourinho as in the deep left back role. So it was a bit of a bit of a weird one. Um buddy, how did you think the match went? What were you what were you thinking at half time?
0: Well the funny thing about Chelsea is every time we play them, we never seem out of the game. We always seem just in it. And we <laughs> always need it's, it's because Chelsea is so so boring and so robotic that they they just do enough to win the games, which is why they they won't win the league because you need a little bit more than that. Um, against teams where they don't have a wonder goal and, and they can't break down for a set piece, so I, it's strange. Like as with all the others, I, I felt we were still in the match, had things gone our way, but we we're never actually really in the game. The moment the referee made that decision and, and ruled out Kane's goal, all hope really went because that was the plan: keep it tight, try and grab something, and build from there. And mm. yeah, Chelsea were a good team. They're a good team. They're just not that interesting to watch or that kind of fantastic. They're just a solid team and unfortunately they can just rely on us to to give away something or they just they've got that kind of money in those players that Ziyech can just whip one like that. And that it was an almighty goal and they needed that to break us down.
2: Mm. Yeah I tend to agree with you that the setup was essentially let's keep things tight and look to do something on the transition. Yeah. But then Nathan as soon as that goal goes in surely he just needs to change it. I mean there was an argument to say that he could have changed things at half time with Tanganga on a yellow and perhaps Tanganga being sure. on a Led to the goal happening because he couldn't make a challenge. Um, but when, as soon as the goal goes in, like, come on, man, don't wait another ten minutes to react. You got to, you got to change it there, there and then, haven't you? Well, well it wasn't
0: ten minutes. It wasn't. 10, it was pretty fast before you could even do much. Before you got the, the defend the substitutes warming up, they'd scored a second.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that like even uh, I suppose. Uh most teams who are like dominant in their league or relatively dominant in their league are gonna continue to push for a second, and maybe you still think that you can get him on the counter within a few minutes. I think it's fairly feasible. I think I think the better point is about like Tanganga at half time, he was uh he was he was being prepared for a toasting um on a yellow, you know. Um But of course he doesn't have any players apparently. So, I mean, I guess, uh, well, other than moving Doherty to right back, but then that of course is his own risk. Um, so I don't know. I guess that was a kind of tricky one. Who would you, who would you have brought on? You'd have changed to a back three, but I don't think that was an option in this game.
2: I would have brought on Skip or Lucas. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally I would have changed to a back three. I mean, th- so this is the thing. This is where I'm coming from. Like we've just had this fabulous result against Leicester, where not only did we get a, an amazing last minute winner and equaliser, uh, but we also looked really coherent in three five two. And I I know what you're saying about Tuchel having kind of the upper hand, but he's not played the three five two against Chelsea. Yet. Yes. He's not.
1: It's the same solutions. I don't think it changes much. Like it if you look at um the the details. So the idea is that like um Chelsea's front two start wide and they cover the pass from the wide centre back to the wing back and then move inside and, and trap the central centre back. Um, you only need to slightly change which midfield is taking out which position to adapt to the three five two. I don't think that would have maybe, maybe, <laughs> but I don't think that would have changed very much. Unless the the one thing is that like in the three five two against Leicester, we used Winks dropping in to form a temporary back four, and maybe that could have been the approach to this game.
2: So, so not even that. For me, it was um, the the big difference in the three five two that I think has really benefited us is the the two alongside Winks either side of him pressing forward aggressively. Sure. Um, rather than in the three four three, Son and Lucas are sort of doing the reverse pressure, which I'd, I, I. I'm not so keen on for either of those players. Whereas I think, you know, with Huey and Skip pressing forward, I think you've got a really valuable option there. And I think perhaps if we'd put Jorginho and Kovacic under that sort of pressure, it might have stifled Chelsea's game plan a bit better, particularly as it went so well against Leicester, you know. Um,
0: but it, I mean, it, they are different teams. They are very yeah, different teams. Course, yeah. and I, I do think Chelsea have the ability to switch from. I mean to press Jorginho and Kovacic is, it's all well and good you can say those things but you know, many teams have tried to do that to varying degrees of success and then the the thing about Chelsea is they could just they could switch it up they could put on Kante if they feel like they're getting overrun yeah. they'd put it on Kante push Mount further up They Chelsea can drop off they can keep the ball and they can high press. They are a, it's a brilliant collection of individuals who I think if um, if Conte had that team he would he would win the league handsomely. I'm I'm sure of it. They are they are a very good team and it's 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 sad that um, that Paul Tierney just sure. just 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 made the right decision and you know. You look back, and it's the same ref that didn't give the penalty against Delhi in in the Liverpool game. Oh, really? And it's, the same, it's the same ref that didn't send off Laporte in the Carling in the Carabao Cup final for two for two yellow card defences on Lucas, and then Laporte goes and scores a winner. He's such a bad referee.
2: It was annoying. We we had a really good refereeing performance on. Um... Wednesday night against Leicester, I thought the game flowed really nicely. Uh, Was it John? I think it was John Moss. The game had a lovely flow to it and he let a lot go. And it felt like um, a game that, where the referee wasn't like the big star. Um, In this game, that was the opposite. It felt very much like the referee didn't ever have a handle on the game and was kind of guessing with some of the decision-making. Um, Lyon says, why are the English so incompetent at watching a screen and overturning bad decisions? Um, Nathan, that first, that, so the first incident with Kane and the push on Thiago Silva, my, my argument there is if that is the other way round, if, Tiago Silva pushes Kane and Kane goes to ground with that little contact. And I don't think, I, I, don't, I just don't think there would be a penalty given. And I think people will be saying, telling Kane to get up, he's diving. And um, what did you make of that incident? Uh, I
1: don't. I find it very confusing that it was given as a foul, basically. Mm.
2: He's feeling where he is, right? He's not trying to push him over. He's sort of got his hand in him to sort of work out where he is, keep a distance from him, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean... And Tiago feels it and hits the deck.
1: Yeah, but there, there's clearly, not written, but in practice, clearly some given allowance for the contact, and that seemed way, way below the threshold, because... Because you know there's a, a, a push, is it on Davies for the yeah. second goal? That's you know considerably worse. So I don't know. It's just that, it's just that Thiago Silva's really good at selling it. But like it's Absolutely. like it's one of those ones. It's like I I can see Spurs conceding that goal uh, in the Europa Conference League. And it's Eric Dyer, and he fills the shelf, and he goes down, and the goal's given, and and Eric Dyer's, is you know the worst centre back who ever lived or whatever, <laughs> and it's just like yeah. it's 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 a completely um, uh, totally intangible Subjective. ability to like the 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 skill of deceiving the ref through sort of prestige, right? He's uh, he's banking on his own prestige. Of course, it was a foul. I'm Tiago Silva, you know, and that's because. Uh, uh. I don't know, whatever I. But obviously, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, this is one of the occasions where I where I will accept the point that it's a different game if sort of the the goal is given when I think it should have been. Um, most of the time, I think that's a pretty dead argument. But uh, I think I think we have a case to feel a little hard done by in this in this in this one.
0: If that's Lukaku against Sanchez or Dier or Davies, then it's a goal and it's given as a goal and it's called weak defending. And it's it's just, I thought, I was a big advocate for VAR and I thought VAR would stop this. But it's now, I thought it would protect teams from the, from the kind of favouritism, the top four favouritism that happens. But it doesn't. It's given, them, it's given referees a, another chance to get out of it and, and let teams off. You saw that Liverpool are under stress and they get a penalty just to help them through the, the final 15 minutes. A penalty that it wasn't a penalty, but because it's not clear and obvious, they can just pull it back. And it's, a, it's an awful decision. And Chelsea are better than Tottenham. But if Tottenham score first, it's a different match and perhaps we come away with something. But I, I'm still not too down about it. It's one of those games where you don't, we, we never get anything at Stamford Bridge. And even though that's not a get-out clause and something we can use as an excuse, it's a game that we all Probably penciled in as as a zero point game, and you, then you look at Arsenal, and Arsenal should have got plus three, but they just got plus one. So it's not it's not hasn't been a disaster of a weekend, but it could have been a lot better.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a real shame to go into the international break off the back of this one, rather than the sort of jubilation of the Leicester result. Yeah. That's the the downside. Should and, have postponed
1: it. eh? Should simply have <laughs> sold yeah. several of our players and lo- etc. Rest a joke. Can't be well.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I and I don't think the um, situation around the unwanted players is is sort of helping the 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 sort of the feeling going into the international break. I mean, I, like Nathan, I'm fully on board the, uh, you know, Conte's in charge. If he wants to get rid of my favorites, then so be it. I'd rather Conte be given control. But I, I, I was a little perturbed by the, the Celso situation. The fact that he's just, he's sort of putting a story on Instagram to say, no, I'm, I'm fit and available. It's fine. And, uh, and, and Delhi being excluded completely. I, I find, I find that a bit odd, um, Connor Kin says, "Does Paratici think think pretending he's on the phone will make people like him, buddy?" <laughs> Here we go.
0: <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, with perhaps, I don't know. I've um, I, I honestly thought uh, Paratici would have something done by now. I thought we would have seen some some fruits of all his work, but um, maybe he doesn't like Chancellor Windows either.
2: <laughs> it does. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it does seem really late. We kind of of all assumed that we were just so late doing the business all the time because of Daniel Levy. and, And now it's not Levy doing the business and it's still rumbling on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Nathan, I've got some. I've got a few concerns that we're kind of shipping out quite a lot of players now. It seems. If you sort of look at the list of players we've made available for transfer, it's it's Delhi and Domblay, Lo Celso, Tanganga, Doherty, Roden, and and the only player we're really confident of signing is Adama at the moment. Cool.
0: <laughs> but we don't have a lot of games. We don't have a lot of games anyway. We're we, out of we've York. got three rearranged
2: games to fit in, yeah. Barty.
0: That's fine. It's just three games. It's not. We're, we're not travelling all that, over the world.
2: No, but that's going to be two a week in three weeks. And Conte has shown so far that he doesn't like to rotate too much. That's putting a lot of pressure on Kane, Son, Huubierre <laughs> again. All, the, all of our players who are absolutely crucial will be playing two a week for... Potentially three weeks in a row—that's risky. We
1: we definitely we definitely need bodies as much as we need improvement, like sort of technical and creative improvement in the sort of profiles in the squad. But I also like—I really don't want to add fuel to the fire. That is, like, if we don't spend a hundred million pounds <laughs> in the next four days, Conte is going to leave immediately, and he's going to sue <laughs> us, and he's going to take. Any players we like with him, and no manager will ever want to come to Tottenham again, and uh, so on, because I think that like I just think that there, that there's a lot of assumption and and a lot of insecurity going on there. And Conte joins aware of the situation, and he knows that we need to move players on before we can move, bring players in. And I think that okay, if we don't sign anyone in the summer again, fair enough. I think he yeah, probably yeah, would yeah. walk, but I don't, I don't think. I don't think um so quite so much hinges on the next few days.
2: No, um, I agree. A player agree. or two
1: players would help for sure.
2: I, I think all of his utterances in this have been essentially that it- <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 this perspective required. This isn't just something you fix in one window. I think window. so
1: too. That's what he's been saying, right? He's been saying, this is yeah, the reality yeah. of the club. This is what January's like. You know, the, the the squad needs work, but we have to be, we have to understand the situation. And then everyone reads that and goes, oh my God, he's going to leave. He's
2: going he's to walk out of his contract. To me, it seems like that's confirmation that he's staying and he sees it as a sort of longer, slightly longer term project than than perhaps other jobs he's been in. and um, And that's fine. I mean, one thing I would say is, I don't think we'll manage to sell all the players that uh, they, they want to sell or loan in this window. Um, and there's been quite a lot of discussion about what that means for those players. And, you know, we can't possibly exclude them for the whole season and, and that would be wrong. And, and I completely agree that would be crazy to have the players available and to exclude them for the season when we need players. Um, but Conte, to my mind, has shown... Um, uh, an ability to change his mind on players. In in the short time he's been with Spurs, Harry Winks wasn't preferred at the start, came in, had a really good performance. Now he's a firm favourite. And likewise Bergwijn, you know, he was about to be sold. And then Leicester happens, and suddenly he's starting against Chelsea, and he seems to be uh, very well-liked by Conte. So I, I, I do think there's... Um, I don't think he's gonna be stubborn. If he ends up keeping, let's say, Delhi or the Celso, I don't think he's gonna be stubborn and not use them. I think he would happily use them um in the future. My my view is that either he's not he's not used them against Chelsea to make a point to the board as if and to the players as if to say, no, really, I don't want you here right now. Or he has been asked by Paratici to preserve them for transfer, which I if that has happened I'm not I'm not overly impressed by that, frankly. Um, But, I mean, we're guessing, aren't we? We're guessing on on both of those. Mm. And Bardi, I want to ask you this from Greg Peff. He says, is the Conte drinks, moretti and eats spaghetti song actually going to catch on? And does Bardi give us his Italian blessing to sing it?
0: I hope it doesn't catch on because it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It rhymes really badly. It's, um, I think Wolves had one similar for Patrick Cotroni. Um It's just not very good. Be better, Tottenham.
2: Yeah, it's a really bad song.
0: Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't. you can't sing it. I've heard people sing it in the stadium and it doesn't work because it doesn't flow. It's too too jittery. It's not good. Mm.
1: Who, who's in more desperate need of creativity? The Tottenham squads or the people coming up with songs?
0: Well, I, we've, we're quite famous for not making good songs yeah. and it's, it is a problem that we've had for quite a while. The Bergvine one we heard That's recently, a
2: banger. That's a banger. That
0: was pretty good. We're still stealing songs. We're still not thinking up anything original, but that that's much better than the um, than the Moretti Spaghetti song. Agreed. Agreed.
2: Uh, where should we go next? Uh, Cole says, I understand that the system is the source of the creativity and not the players at the moment, but purely from a personnel standpoint, surely we can't afford to sell a bunch of players in an already threadbare squad and not place them. we I suppose we kind of discussed that already um, Nathan, but... Uh, to, so Harvey White was on the bench right. against Chelsea, ahead of D do, do you think he would have brought? Do you think there was any scenario which he would have brought Harvey White on? I think it's very unlikely.
0: Really, I th- I don't know. I think maybe I think maybe you think he was just there to send a message. Yeah,
1: look, I'm play. I'm you know, I mean, obviously, you know, is specifically Harvey White ahead of other available youth players because that's partly because that's just where he's in the pecking order, right? So there is something there, um, but it does seem extremely unlikely to me that he would have brought him on. I don't think he's like I don't think he's keen to including on the bench. I think he's again yeah, like you're kind of saying, sending a message about the Celso, Delhi, and Dombalay aren't in my plans.
2: This young academy kid will he might not be as good technically as you but he will follow my instructions to the letter perhaps Sure
0: I mean I'm I'm not against Selling a bunch of players and having a Fred Bear squad for the end of the season um it saves us a job in the summer if we can if we can make that happen now because if we finish top four this season, although it's it's there and it's a possibility, it's a bonus it's something that we we've taken and we had we didn't expect It's all about working towards next season and if we can clear out the squad now, I say let's do it now and set us in, and then if we finish top four, great if not we'll we're, we're working towards next year anyway
2: I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I, I kind of like Ndombele, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no coming back from what happened there. And so, sure. yeah, absolutely deal with that one. But Lo it doesn't seem like there's a, a sort of excited buyer. It's more us pushing him towards the exit door. And actually, he's a versatile player who would be really useful in a couple of spots. And I'm not saying he's going to start every week, but that is... Uh, another option gone that perhaps doesn't need to go and might actually enable help enable us to get fourth and i do feel good about fourth but i would feel a bit less confident about fourth if we did sell all these players and get just a dharma in
0: yeah, I, okay. I, I I agree with the lacelso that he does offer us a little bit more. So perhaps he's the one that should stay. But if we're not getting any money for Endombele and Delhi, then we, you have to kind of make the money somewhere.
2: Mm. What do you think of Tanganga to Milan body? How do you think he'd get on in Italy?
0: Um, I don't know particularly. I think he'd do. I think he'd do okay. He's not a bad defender. I don't think Tanganga's a bad defender. I think he's in a bad place right now, and he's not great with the ball at his feet. Mm. I still I still think he he can have a decent career somewhere.
1: Milan picked up an aggressive young English defender who wasn't wanted by his club in Tamori, mm. and Tamori has been incredible because he's an incredible yeah. player. Tanganga is another young English aggressive centre back, but he is not <laughs> Tamori, so I think they're a bit confused. I think they've got a bit excited with how well the last one won, and um, uh, but I'm happy for him. If he, you know, he goes and he gets himself some good wages and a long contract, um, and it works out, you know, for us. Then, uh, then good.
2: Hmm. TB says I've been going back and forth on the Adama signing, but after the match today, the logic is obvious to me. Chelsea were never uncomfortable, never forced into doing something they didn't want to do. At the very least, Adama does that. Am I crazy, or is that a valuable skill this current squad doesn't have, Bardi?
0: I mean, I'd rather have Adama at right midfield <laughs> than than Doherty. So that's a that's a skill set improvement. So I think, yeah, if we're going to play four four two, we need we need some wingers, Windy. So get him. <laughs> Nathan, have you changed
2: your um, thinking on Adama at all as the as the window's gone on and kind of Conte's favourites have become clear?
1: Uh, I think that he is. Um, I still think there's a lot of like back and forth risk involved with him, but he does he does make the list of options for right wing back for me. He's probably, you know, he's kicking around sort of tenth, in my opinion. But that's still a fairly decent option, you know, as as, as transfers go. So I don't know. I, I I think I think um so we looked in depth at his crossing and his chance creation. Um but I do think I do think the statistics are more strongly in his favour than than um than I may have made it seem. Um I just think that the potential downsides there is that, like, if you can't get him to defend. you can't get him to follow passing instructions like like Lo Celso is out of the squads and then Domblo is out of the squad and potentially Delhi also maybe is out of the squad because they don't do the exact pass that Conte wants them to every time Adama's going to get the ball he's going to want to run it down the line yeah that's exactly what I was about to say so I'm like I don't know I mean if, 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 if the upside of that is so great that Conte allows for it then fine but so far he hasn't shown <laughs> leeway with that at all so I don't know how well Adama might absorb. But then but then but then I said that about Lucas and Lucas has absorbed Conte's ideas very well. So and I consider those to be similar profile players, to be clear.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Same. Same for sure, uh, Nathan, did you want to talk about left center backs at all you were going you, you were going to do them in your spreadsheet uh,
1: yeah <laughs> kind of um you 're not that
2: excited about the options are you n-
1: well i 'm kind of confused about what the club want and what I want, right so for me, there are two profiles there 's the the Ben Davies profile and there 's the Eric Dyer profile, and in my opinion, these are two completely opposing people and it's like which one do we want which one should we want um and are there any players at all in the world that can cover both of these roles so i don't know if i should make a list of of the aggressive left foot carriers i don't know if i should make a list of the either-footed passive uh, long-range passers, or a very short list of the five players in the world who could cover both roles so I'm sort of I'm sort of um, getting distracted and learning how to code instead of thinking about centre backs for a little while.
2: I mean, the weird thing is, all of the reporting seems to suggest that centre back is no longer a priority. Oh, okay, so sweet. Okay. It, at, at the start of the window, it was centre back, striker, right wing back, which were my priorities for the squad as well. Um, as time's gone on, and I guess as he's decided he doesn't like Delhi and Aselso, the, the priority has shifted to striker, right wing back midfielder and maybe an attacking midfielder as well
1: okay so my the two players i put down under my creative midfielder list which i haven't gone back to since are bruno gomerage and ibrahim sangare so there you go there's there's my two so where are you playing them so so the thing with this role is that uh it doesn't matter. Like we don't we don't need an eight, we don't need a six, we don't need uh an eight slash ten. We need one of those roles anywhere to be taken up by a more creative player. So there's kind of some freedom in this and I sh- I will put some more lists on this name um but they could come in they could they could come and be a better version of harry winks in the 352 they could replace one of Hoybio and skip in the the 343 um they could be more of a sitter they could be more of a runner it doesn't matter as long as they are in some way much more creative than the options that we have or maybe you could say as creative as harry winks but then are also really really good signs of defensive contribution and, and general work rate and i guess i also need to do the more difficult Harder to quantify instruction follower. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) How do you
0: even start? How do you even figure out whether or not a player can follow instructions?
1: Uh, You look at how they play for two different teams and notice if there are significant differences between how they played at one club and another or if they get moved into a different role. Um and you look at how the team play and how systemic their contributions appear. But I mean it's hard, like most players, like this is what you've seen with, with Yes and Domblay and Lo Celso, but also with Fabricast and Ericsson. Most players who are sort of outstanding creative types have a, a hard time adapting to Conte. I guess I guess there's been a, a better line of work from sort of more number six type players, deeper midfielders, than there have been from more upfields sort of final third creating players. So maybe my focus should be more towards what if Harry Winks could defend and run more kind of type players. Interesting. But I think I think Gumares could play that role. Maybe probably not Sangari.
0: Do you think the um the fact that centre backs are no longer spoken about is because of um how Dyer and, and Sanchez to a small degree have improved and, and perhaps are not the, the mess of centre backs that we thought they were?
1: No, because because, because Dyer was already playing well. Because mm. we shouldn't be too shocked that Dyer's playing well. Um, because Davidson's done okay, that's, that still leaves us really lacking. Like, if Ben Davis gets injured, I'm touching the probably fake wood on my desk. If Ben Davis gets injured, Wh- 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 done <laughs> all over. We we pack in. We forfeit. We postpone the rest of the season to f- four years time because I don't know what we do. <laughs> like you know. this has
2: just reminded me that Davinson played left centre back against Chelsea. Yeah, what was that all about? I don't really know. I I get well. Uh no I don't know <laughs> I I, well, I can only think that it was because they thought that Mount was going to run beyond in the channel and Sanchez had better recovery pace to track Mount that's what well, I could come up that with That sounds
1: good to me but he's so
2: bad at turning when he's on that side that I I
1: you can feel you know, so his nervous there. energy from at home when he's on
2: hundred percent hundred percent yeah um, so so I like I quite like this sort of slightly more optimistic take from Philip Darvishy okay. on our, our centre backs. He, he sent this some time ago. He said, I write with a question about our centre-backs. Given the youth of our current options, might the situation be better than we've all been letting on? Conventional, conventional wisdom is that centre-backs peak in their late 20s and often sustain that level of play into their early 30s. Here's our rotation. Left centre-back, Davis, 28, early prime. Left back up, he's put Tanganga, 22, pre-prime. I'm not sure if that's that's realistic. Centre centre-back, Dyer, 27, early prime. Centre back up, Roden, 24, pre-prime. Right centre-back, QT 23 pre-prime. And right back-up, Sanchez, 25 pre-prime. Despite it feeling like some of them have been with us for decades, that's quite a young group. Um, beyond someone to compete with Benny on the left, I don't see why we need to rush to sign centre-backs. Conte has them playing well already and the future seems bright. Many of us have questioned players like Roden and Sanchez, but they're young internationals who are still growing. Are we really likely to find better backups to play these roles?
0: This is kind of like what I was thinking. I hadn't seen the question. I... I think the centre backs is not quite a disaster, we think it is. And I'd rather spend that money elsewhere.
1: I, 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 sorry to, to, to undermine Phillips' optimism, but I think that, again, like an injury to, to Dyer or to Davies, mm. like, I, I, I had a lot of faith, I had a lot of excitement for Roden, but he's not, not looked not good. He's not been given chances. He's not been given chances, but specifically under Conte, okay, it's only been two games, but he's not looked good in that central role, no. which is the only one he can play. Um, and Tenganga is sort of rightfully on his way out. I think he's an okay backup on the right side, but he, Sanchez is preferred there. Um, and and him being backup left side sided centre back is you know is a problem. So and Davinson, I'd like us to improve on, but obviously the fact that he the fact that he like I'm talking about before with sort of player profiles, the fact that he can cover just about the central and right sided roles, not in terms of possession really, but in terms of his sort of um, he's quite balanced defensively like he he he's huh, he's more of a cat right he's more of a passive defender but he can also adapt and be a more aggressive defender um he's sort of a useful squad option for that reason i'd still like to improve on him but i think that, that is sort of third priority um behind improving left footedness and and a backup passive defender who can play central and be a a, a very good passer in that role that's a lot of words <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm> probably <laughs> hard to follow.
2: No, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I mean, I, I I, think there's a possibility that they've had the same problems that Nathan's had, i.e. there are just so few centre-backs in world football that can actually step in and do the job they want them to do and are left-footed. Well, I think they have to break it into
1: two different roles. I think yeah. that you have to say, let's get an aggressive left-footer and let's yeah. get a really good passing, passive central defender. who's also good in the air. I think I have to cross out Pau Torres because he could only play the central role and he... He, he's easily bullied off the ball despite being exceptional at every other aspect of football.
2: Does that matter so much if he's playing a central role? If, you know, he's yeah, there, sort of sweeping so. up behind. Okay.
1: I think when we get pushed into our deeper shape, if your central centre back is weak in the air, um,
2: it can be a problem. Okay, no, I take your point, but then. Um... Yeah, I mean I was just I was just sort of thinking cuz Torres is the one we went for last summer. He rejected us as we now now know. He's he's been open about that. So he's obviously someone Patatichi's got in mind. Um and what I was thinking as you were speaking was is it that different now to what Nuno was intending to do? Um and it is in terms of the the sort of the structure of the defending, but the type of defending they're doing is not significantly different in those roles. I.e., left centre back under Conte or central centre back under Conte and one of the centre backs under Nuno, they're still going to be at times having to defend deep and win battles in the air. Um, so perhaps they thought that he was just sort of fine in that area, and that the other qualities he had kind of make up for that slight shortfall. I think when we're in the Champions League, it opens more doors the possibilities for us improve suddenly and more players are attracted to us Uh, so the main thing is finishing fourth that's absolutely critical and and also it means it allows us to spend more money on transfer fees and on wages also because we've got guaranteed income uh, which which really does change the sort of possibilities of the types of signings we can make That's a lot of centre-back chat isn't it hmm do you
0: want to do one more? Um, do you want to talk about Hugo and his contract? We haven't spoken about that, have we?
2: Yes. So final thing, um, Hugo Lloris signed his contract extension this week. It had been coming for some time. Uh, I feel pretty good about that. How are you feeling, Bardi?
0: I feel pretty good about it as well, which is not what I thought I'd feel three years down the line when I said mm-hmm. he, he was done. Um, he, he has improved. He has kind of, even though we saw a little bit of sweeping up uh, at the weekend, he he's kind of got back to basics in his goalkeeping. He doesn't come for too many crosses. He doesn't come flying out of his box. He he keeps things pretty simple. And he, as a goalkeeper, he's been a, always been one of the best simple goalkeepers in terms of shot stopping, mm-hmm. positioning, and stuff like that. Um, I think this is great news. It takes stress off us having to go out and find a new goalkeeper. I I still think we do need to find one. Obviously, it's only two more years, but I think this is a great move for everybody. And yeah, I'm happy about it.
2: I've taken to watching Hugo's footwork a lot. He's his feet are incredible the way he, he positions himself to set to make saves. I think that's why one of the reasons why he makes so many saves that he really shouldn't be able to make because he he's very good at preempting where the shot's going and and taking subtle but important movements towards that part of the goal. Um Nathan, I think he's really impressive despite his age.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh feel really good about this in the sort of short to medium term. Feel less good about this long term because Mm. we still we look we look less sure of what we're gonna do after Hugo than we did four years ago, (laughs) right? Um I don't know, we're we keep I guess we kind of have a bit of a Harry Kane problem right mm-hmm. going that like so up top we struggled to bring in players who were happy to be back up and when we're talking about Hugo, we're talking about where we tried to like loan to potentially buy deal in younger keepers to get a few cup games as like a means of scouting them instead of just like actually scouting them in the first place. I don't know uh we just I think that we the smart thing to do is to, uh, first off, learn how to scout goalkeepers with data and or hire a really good goalkeeper scout, right? And then buy a first-choice goalkeeper to replace Hugo and look to move Hugo on and think more long-term about it. And uh, we don't have to do that this year, but we might have to do that next year. Um, Yeah.
0: I do have concerns about his. He he does seem to shrink. I still he like if if you watch how Allison plays and when those one on ones happen, he really does spread himself and he creates. He's something. ridiculous. Yeah, that, it, it it just creates an, an an object. I still think Hugo in those tight situations has a problem. His shot stopping from distance is pretty good, and his kind of his his kind of medium shots is really good. But he he does struggle for me up close in in the. Um, in the one on one situations i think he needs to improve that well he he won't, he won't improve that now <laughs> but but um yeah it's it's a difficult one to replace him goalkeeper such a specialized role um yeah it's a difficult one but it's not a decision we need to make now we've got bigger decisions right now that we need to focus on and i think that was the important thing about tying him down
2: i think that's it i mean we've we've had a long conversation today about what we think our priorities are and, you know, let's be clear, I think we can finish fourth for the squad we've got. I think the pro- the, what we're talking about when we're talking about signing a right-wing back, uh, a centre-back, a midfielder, a striker, I'm talking about to challenge for the title. I'm talking about to sort of put us up to, you know, when, when, we're not we're just the top four side now, we're actually trying to compete for trophies. Uh, and I think what this does is this banks us another year of allowing us to prioritise other positions. So even if we don't necessarily think centre-back is a huge priority now, it allows us to fix that problem before the goalkeeper problem. It allows us to spend... Forty million on a centre back before we need to spend forty million on a on a goalkeeper. And let's be honest, it's going to take forty million to replace the Reese. Forty million plus. We saw what uh, Ramsdale cost Arsenal. Um, We saw what Kepa went for as as when he went to Chelsea. And um, there, I mean, there there are numerous examples of goalkeepers going for prices that seem to be over the odds. It's going to cost us a hell of a lot of money. And if we go for um, a a Premier League, an existing Premier League goalkeeper, let's say we look at Robert Sanchez. or Robert Sanchez, or or Melier, who's actually had a slightly weaker season this season. Um, but if you look at one of those players, they, that's going to cost us a small fortune. So this allows us to sort of not have to tackle that problem in the next 12 months, but... Perhaps in eighteen months, twenty-four months, we can look at that, and 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 that to me seems like a smart bit of business. However, we will need a backup next year. We will need to replace Galini. I mean, there's no, surely there's no way they'll extend Galini's loan or sign him permanently. God, no. um, and with with Alfie Whiteman and Brandon Austin having had so little experience because they've only at, ever had one loan each. Uh, actually, Austin may have had two. No, I think they've had one loan each, and. They've not been long loans either. Uh, it does put us in a tricky position where essentially we're going to be going back out again for another short-term loan signing, or a, or signing an older goalkeeper to to play back up, I think.
0: I think you just wait to see who gets relegated and then pick up a goalkeeper from there. You can, if Burnley go down, you've got Nick Pope as an option. If Everton go down, you can ruin my life by signing Pickford. <laughs> there are there are options there.
2: He made a really good save at the weekend, Pickford. It was it was actually offside. Uh, but he made a ridiculous save. Really I mean, impressive.
0: Goal- goalkeepers make saves. That's that's what they're there for. That's that's their job, wouldn't they?
2: No, but this was like, this was special. This was like notable. It was really, really impressive. Okay. Again, it was it was a bit like what you said about um, Alisson sort of making himself into an object. Pickford did exactly that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I take your point. There's probably going to be some fairly good goalkeepers getting relegated. Uh, not either of Watford's goalkeepers. They are both terrible <laughs> and should be avoided. Um, I mean, if Newcastle go down, then uh, Dibravka as a backup wouldn't be a bad shout.
0: As a backup, yeah, but I wouldn't want want him starting. No, no.
2: Cool. So lots of transfer chat this week. Um, the, The transfer, the January transfer window is not fun. It is. It is like this every year. We sort of. I think we forget how awful it is every year, and we. This year it's different because we've got a new manager, uh, and he wanted his evaluation period, and then to sort of potentially look at signings and players, and so it's felt very necessary and needed, and therefore pressured. Um, and as a result of that, it, tensions are running high, and it's it's not it's not an enjoyable window at all. Um, but perhaps by the time we come to podcast next week in fact we'll be podcasting on deadline day won't we oh my goodness so we might have some transfers to discuss I suspect that Adama will be in by then
0: and, I mean, and maybe one other it has been a pretty quiet window anyway I don't think anybody is really doing much other than Newcastle
2: true true and we said we said some time ago that we should look to sort of sell some of our unwanted players to Newcastle that could still happen that's not beyond the realms of possibility you've been listening to the Extra Inch Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for the production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davey Shambles and his SoundCloud, The Do check him out, he's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.